All right. Morning, everyone. It's good to be back. It's good to see you all. Um, I was wondering how to start this sermon this morning. And um, while we were singing Trust and Obey, in the fourth verse, fifth verse, it says, What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fearing, only trust and obey. And I thought, how many of us actually apply that? You know, we, we read it, we sing it, but we don't always apply what we know, we don't always apply what we hear, what God teaches us or tells us to do. And um, this morning I listened to a sermon and it, it was about, well, this guy used an analogy where he said, imagine you're sitting watching TV and an ad comes up, about pancreatic cancer. Now, pancreatic cancer is of the worst kinds of cancer, and it, um, it kills 95% of people who, who, get, who get diagnosed with um, pancreatic cancer. And most people die within six months of being diagnosed, and some people even die within the first week. So you may sit there and it may shock you, but you don't have pancreatic cancer. So it doesn't really affect you that much. It's very different if you go to the doctor in a routine checkup and you get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. All of a sudden, your life changes. All of a sudden, it becomes so real to you. Your life is most likely going to end very soon. And so as soon as you get diagnosed, as soon as you see your problem you are forced to do something. You are forced to change. You are forced. It becomes a reality to you, right? And today, we're going to be speaking about a topic that I find, in a way, in a spiritual sense, very similar to this. And it's the topic of pride. Because those of us who most likely need to hear this sermon the most will be the least affected by it. Because pride does exactly that. I mean, think of the people who frustrated Jesus the most. It was the Pharisees. It was their spiritual pride. And so Jesus preached to them the most. Jesus really tried, or he, he went out of his way to preach to them and tell them, but they are the ones who never changed because of their pride. And so I hope and I plead with you that today, if, if pride is something that you struggle with, if, and even if you don't know it, I think some of the things might show to the fact that you have a root of pride. And if something shows that, do something about it. Because like with pancreatic cancer, if you're diagnosed with it, it has to affect you. It has to change you. So I hope that the sermon in that way will affect you. Now C.S. Lewis wrote, History shows at every point how easily it is for pride to increase as we become stronger, more successful, more prosperous, and more recognized in our endeavors. In fact, anything, real or imagined, that elevates us above others can be a platform to, for pride. Ironically, this is true even when these things come as a result of God's blessings. Pride also affects religious people. Few people today seem to be aware of the danger of spiritual pride, but spiritual leaders throughout the history of the church have always seen it as a great plague and tool of the devil. 
even in times of revival, it is a danger. Commenting on the revival in Northampton, Massachusetts in 1737, Jonathan Edwards said, The first and the worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door which the devil, um, which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit to darken the mind and mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he, Satan, has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder the work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring, or at least the main support, of all other errors. Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come to you today and we ask, Lord, that you would please come and soften our hearts. Um, Lord, um, you've spoken to me so much on this topic in this week and Lord, it, it's very important for us to, to deal with this sin, this, this awful thing that can take a hold of any of our hearts. And um, Father, I pray that you would please Please help us to, to hear from you this morning. Please help us to go away from here changed. Um, Lord, not just having heard about pride, but Lord, if, if there's something we need to change, if, if we are in danger of this sin manifesting in our life, Lord, please come and show us, please come and help us that we would humble ourselves before you um, and that you would be glorified through that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, I sincerely ask you that you would please prepare your heart for the possibility that there might be a root of pride in your lives. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. C.S. Lewis also said, For pride is a spiritual cancer. It, eat, it eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride eats away at that. So what, pride, what makes pride so dangerous is the fact that like a cancer, it is hidden. It is like a root. But it brings forth very evil fruit. And sometimes, like with cancer, it is too late when it is diagnosed. So, since it's not always to identify pride, I've compiled a list of some of the fruit of pride that if you hear it, you may be able to see, I think, some of that may be in my life. Even if it doesn't manifest through your words, you know what goes on in your heart. So, the first thing, this is just a list. You can get it from me afterwards if I go through it too fast. But the first thing is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. So, this sounds something like, I don't need God for this. Even if you don't even say those words, even if you think it, you go through life as if you don't need God's guidance on this matter. Another way in which pride manifests itself is the fear of man. It sounds something like, I know, Lord, but what are they going to think of me? Right? You fear man because what are people going to think of you? It knocks, potentially knocks your pride. Another way is 
the desire to receive credit. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks about the Pharisees and that they do things to be seen of men. And Jesus says they have their reward. Right? So pride desires to receive credit. Now receiving credit or telling you that a good, that's, not, that's not prideful in itself. But the desire to receive it, so you do it for the show of men, that's where the problem comes. Fourthly, pride shows itself in ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. Sounds something like, I don't deserve this. I'm better than this. I don't deserve this. That's pride. Fifthly, it's jealous or envious. Sounds like, if I only have this or that, or why does he or she have this or that if I am just as good or even a better person? That's pride. Six, pride learns life lessons slower. That's why I like what C.S. Lewis said about, um, at the end of his quote, he says that pride, I need to find it, or contentment or even common sense. That's what pride hinders, even common sense. It will cause you to learn life lessons slower. Because you have to act like a certain way. You have to have this facade of, I know this, so I can't ask a stupid question. Because if I ask a stupid question, this or this person might think I don't know. That's pride. A quote that I don't know who said, but it says, Some never get started on their destiny cause because they cannot humble themselves, learn, grow, and change. Right? Pride also shows itself in that it connects correction with an intrusion. It sees when someone corrects you, someone shows you something, it sees this person is intruding, this person is wrong, this person does not have a right to say this or that. So that's another way in which pride manifests itself. Essentially, are you saying, I am wrong? That is pride. Eight, pride is disobedient to God. Only... Oh, uh, only um, obedient in the things which benefit you. That's what pride will do. You'll only be obedient in the things that you are comfortable with or that benefit you because you know better than what God has said. That's pride. And lastly, pride is someone who says, I'm pretty humble already. <laughs> that is pride. <laughs> All right? We are to strive to become more like Christ, to have that mind in us, that humility. So I don't think any of us can really say, I'm, I'm pretty humble already. So I want you to open to Judges chapter 16. Now, this list that I read to you, these nine things, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm sure you get the picture. And it's not a very, it's not a very pretty picture, this pride. And that's why God says in Proverbs 6 verse 17 that when he speaks about the abominable things and the things that he hates, the first thing he mentions is a proud look. A proud look. God hates a proud look. So you're in Judges chapter 16. And today we're going to look a bit at the story of Samson and um, his fall um, with Delilah and how that came to pass. And I hope that we'll learn a few practical lessons from this, this story that is written for our example, um, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10. So Judges chapter 6. Now, oh, 16, sorry, Judges 16. Uh, <laughs> um, leading up to where we're going to start reading is, Samson went to Ga- um, Gaza, and while he was there, he met a harlot, and he slept with her. And then from there, he, ne- he made a near escape, 
he took the city's door with him and planted it on a, on a mountain. I don't know why he did that. Maybe to boast. Um, and then um, now we're going to read from verse 5 in Judges 16, verse 5. It says, And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, that's Delilah, and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give the, um, we'll give the every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. And Samson said unto her, If they bind me with seven green withs, that's like a cord or a string, um, that, were never, that were never dried, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven green withs, which, she, which had not been dried, and she bound him um, with them. Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto, unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the withs, as a thread of, of tow um, is broken when, when, um, when it toucheth the fire. So his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Now, now tell me, I pray thee, wherewith? Um, thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith, and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And they were, and they were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber. And he brake um, them with they break him from his arms like a thread. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me and hast told me lies. Tell me um, wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with a web. And she fastened it with the pin and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam um, and with the web. And she said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thy heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words, and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I, if I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall be weak, become weak, and be like any other man. And Delilah saw that he had told all his heart, and sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made, him, um, she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, um, and his strength went from him. And he said unto the Philistine, and she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. 
And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Now, when you read the story, I, I, don't know, I find it a very strange story. Like, I can't help but think Samson's very dumb. Like, um, seriously, she comes to him and she says, what can I do so that you are bound and so that you can be afflicted? And so he tells her something, which obviously wasn't true, but then it came to pass. And then the next time, so he knows she isn't playing a game. She's not just trying to find information. Each time he says something, that thing happens to her. So obviously she's trying to, to, to get him. But Samson every time falls for that. But I think there's a lesson in that. And that We'll get into that, but he, he basically plays with sin, right? He plays with this idea that bring whatever, I'll take it, you know? And so, manifestation of pride. So today's lesson will be um, about the boldness of pride. The boldness of pride. But it is the B-A-L, boldness. The boldness of pride. Because he lost his hair, right? So Samson goes from being bold, as in being almost, in a way, arrogant, to being bold because of pride in his life. So when I say bold, B-A-L-D, I mean pride will leave you with nothing. Pride will leave you empty. Without God, in verse 20, it speaks there about how God, had, he didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. If you know the story, the Philistines took out his eyes, so he was blind. He was bold. He was blind. God wasn't with him. He was imprisoned. He was weak. And that's what pride left him with. And when I say bold, as in B-O-L-D, I speak more about arrogance, the self-sufficient nature of pride, and how you don't acknowledge God in any of your abilities or your accomplishments. And that's essentially what um, Samuel... (laughs) Samuel. Samson was doing is he didn't acknowledge God in anything. He thought he could do everything by himself. And he was, like I said, playful with sin. He told lies. He acted as if whatever, these lords can come, they can tie him up, he'll overcome them. So he became playful with sin. So the first thing, the first point, pride is progressive. Pride is progressive. In verse 7, Samson says, they can bind me with Withs with these cords. It's a small, it's like a string. So that's what he says. You can you can tie me with strings. Then in verse eleven he says, use a rope, use a strong rope. Then in verse thirteen he says, tie me by my hair. Do you see how he's getting closer to the very thing that is where his strength lies? Now he's already toying with his hair. And then finally in verse seventeen he tells her everything. And we know what happens from there. So it is progressive. And when I, when, when I read verse 13 about how he says to Delilah, tie me at my hair, I think of that, what is said to, to, to Cain just before he kills Abel. Sin lieth at the door. Sin lies at the door. And he knew it, but he in any case went forward and he, he played with it. So why is this so important to know? Why is it important to know that pride is progressive? 
Well, pride will not just stick its head out and scare you. You will slowly sink deeper and deeper as pride progresses. You're only forced to realize what pride has done when you look around you and you see the destruction it has caused. That's when you are forced to realize or to deal with pride in your life. You look at marriages. You look at relationships. You look at your testimony. Your walk with God. All these things are falling apart. And you wonder why. You wonder where it started. It starts with pride. And then it might be too late and the damage has been done. So don't play with pride like, like Samson did. As soon as you identify it, stop it. Because it is progressive. Pride is progressive. The second thing, pride is pretentious. Pride pretends. Pride is pretentious. In verse 9, and um, let's read verse 9, it says, Now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. And she said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he brake the withs as a thread of tow, um, as broken when it toucheth the fire, and his strength was not known. We see it also in verse 12 and also in verse 14. He gets away with his pride three times. He shows off. He plays with it. Pride will make you think that I don't really have a problem. I've got this. You see, it, 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 it creates a false picture. It pretends. You may get away with pride a few times, but even if it's in your head and no one knows about it, you'll get away with pride. Pride wins your trusts, and you grow accustomed to it. It becomes your new way of thinking, your new way of living. It pretends to be an ally when it's actually your enemy. And in the end, it has the capacity to destroy you. Like C.S. Lewis said, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. That's what pride does. It destroys you. That's why the Bible continually warns us in Scripture that wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Okay? Pride is a thing we need to be aware of and it is subtle. It starts out very small and it grows. The third thing is pride is paralyzing. Pride is paralyzing. When I say paralyzing, I'm referring to like almost blindness. Okay? It, it's, it's paralyzing because in verse 13, as I mentioned to you, he's coming closer and closer to the real thing that is actually where his strength lies. So he's meddling with the very thing that God warned him of. He is pushing the boundaries. He's basically asking, do I really need God? Can't I do this by my own strength? I've done it for so long, or I've done it many times. Do I really need God? It paralyzed his ability to see the truth. That's what pride did. It paralyzed his ability. That's what I'm saying. It's like it blinded his eyes to see the truth. He lost all reverence, all fear of who God really is, a holy fear of who this God is that gave him the strength. Because the truth is, Samson did nothing to receive 
this strength. Samson did nothing. It could be taken from him at any point. Yet instead of glorifying and acknowledging God, he flaunted it. He played with it, the very thing that God gave him. That is irreverence. That is a lack of a holy fear for who God is. So he had paralyzed his heart towards truth. Or you may be there where you are given completely unmerited grace. You have been given a grace that you did nothing to work for, for your salvation. How are you treating God when he has showed you this grace and is still showing you grace every day? How do you treat God? Have you maybe taken it for granted, forgotten about the wonderful thing that God has worked in you in saving your soul? The answer to this question will show in the way you speak and in the way you walk, not in your answer to this question now. Have you taken God's, have you flaunted God's grace that he has given you? That's why the old Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. If so, if you desire fellowship with God, you need to rid yourself of this pridefully paralyzed heart. In James chapter 4 verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. In Matthew 23 verse 12, Jesus said, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. It's about humbling ourselves. That's how we restore, that's how we take away this paralyzing effect of pride. The last point, pride is pricey. Pride is pricey. It'll cost you something. In verse 7, we read about where Samson was asked for the first time, what must I do that you may be afflicted and your strength may go away from you? That's where we read for the first time. And I almost want to say, Samson says jokingly, you know, tie me up with strings. I don't think in this instance where he said that, he had verse 17 in mind. He did not realize that this way it starts, where this same question that's asked each time is going to result in him actually saying what it is in which his strength lies. That's why I say pride is pricey. Pride will cost him the presence of the Lord. In verse 20, at the end of verse 20, he gets up, he thinks everything is fine, he's always done this so he can do it again, and he didn't even know that the Lord was departed from him. Then in verse 21, the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, so he was blinded, he was imprisoned. He was, his strength was removed from him. Now if pride is this pricey, are you willing to pay this price to keep pride by your side? You may have heard the quote, but sin will take you further than you're willing to go. It will keep you longer than you're willing to stay. And it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. And since pride is the root of so many sins, I think it is safe to say that pride will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you more than you are willing to pay and it will keep you longer than you are willing to stay. So how far will it take you 
to the point where you will completely disobey God's word and think that you're still okay. Because that is what Samuel did. He completely disobeyed God's word. His head was shaven. He got up and he still thought he was okay. He still thought he can take, he can fight this battle. How far will pride take you? We as the church of God can't afford to pay the price that sin, oh, that pride is demanding from us. We can't afford that price. So, pride is pretentious. Pride will paralyze you. It will cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Now what do we do about this? I hope that this lesson made you see that pride is, has a very subtle, destructive nature about it. If you've noticed pride in your life, remember that pride is not passive. It is progressive. It's not going to just stay there. It's not just going to fade away. It's going to grow and it's going to become more and more. Pride feeds on pride. <laughs> and so it'll become bigger and stronger. The with it before it destroys many aspects of your life. So I want to give you three very simple tips that I almost want to say you can start applying today in this, this battle, this, this, this combat against pride. The first thing is, remember that pride stems from an overly critical and comparing attitude. Pride stems from an overly critical and comparing attitude. You look at others and you think that, at least I'm not that bad, or I don't do that, or I would never do that, or this person is probably doing that because of that, but you don't actually have any idea why they are doing what they're doing, but you make assumptions because you think that you know better or you would have done that better. And so it stems from an overly critical and comparing attitude. So the first thing I want to tell you is focus vertically instead of horizontally. Focus, in essence, focus on something higher. Focus on God and not those around you. I thought about how would I... Who of you, I'm sure most of you, if you don't know tennis, but I'm sure you've heard of the name Roger Federer. He's of the best tennis player, if not the best ever. And I thought to myself, how would I speak about my tennis career if I was speaking to Roger Federer? Now, for, you, for those of you who don't know, I played a lot of tennis and I tried to go professional, but I wasn't good enough and I've, that's fine, I've dealt with it. Um, but I... I think of my conversation with him. I don't think my achievements, obviously, wouldn't have been that great. I think my conversation would have been very different to him than to someone who is young and starting off in their tennis career and wants to go professional. I would have a lot more experience, and so I would have something, in a way, to be prideful of, something I have accomplished, right? So if I look down or if I look like this, I have something to be proud of. But if I look at Federer, in a spiritual sense, if I look at God... I have a very different attitude in the way I think and the way I live my life, right? And so we have to focus vertically. We have to focus on God. We have to have that mind which Christ had in him, right? And just also in, in Philippians 2 where it speaks about that, Paul also tells them 
to esteem the other higher than yourself. So you can even have, in a way, an upward, a slightly upward look to other people if you esteem them higher than yourselves. Things that they've learned and things that they've gone through and the way they handle things. But we ultimately need to look at God and not focus horizontally. So the second way in which you can start fighting pride in your life is to identify the things that stir up pride. Identify the things that stir up pride. Essentially, who is your Delilah? What is the thing that makes you fall? And it's not the same for everyone. So I would say approach this week prayerfully. Ask the Spirit to guide you and go through this week and ask God to show you where am I stumbling? Where? What things make this pride rise up in me? makes me react in a way that is prideful. And identify it. And as um, Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 6, he speaks about in verse 4 about the proud. And then in verse 10 he say, speaks about the love of money and the covetousness and all of that. And then in verse 11 he says, But thou, O man, flee these things. Flee these things. If you've identified them, if God's shown you, get away from it. Deal with it. Don't let it linger. And then lastly, I would say you have to admit that you have a problem. As I said in the beginning, it's a very frustrating message because those of us who need to hear this message the most are most likely the people to do the least about it. Because that's what pride does. So the first thing you can do is to admit that you have a problem with pride. And that is already an act of humility. Have a look at um, Judges 16, verse 28. Now Samson is imprisoned. Samson is blind. Samson has no hair. Samson is weak. Verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. Do you see how he's focused from himself, his abilities, what he can do, what he's accomplished, his strength has, folk, has shifted all the way to God. He says, I can't do this. Lord, I pray thee, strengthen me. Lord, I pray thee, help me. His focus, he had to humble himself to pray that prayer because it's no longer about him. He realized it's not of himself. So humility, acknowledging your dependence. Acknowledging your dependence. And that's when God exalted Samson one last time. So on this point of admitting you have a problem, there's definitely this aspect of humility. But the other thing is, to admit it, you need to admit it to someone, right? You can't admit it to yourself. It kind of defeats the object. So admit it to someone. Speak to someone. Like with any other sin, you know, we often treat certain sins as, yes, okay, some sins are worse than others, but if someone battles with pornography or something, you tell them, get an accountability partner, speak to someone else, why not, why not do the same thing with pride or any other sin? We all need each other's help. In um, James 5 verse 16 it says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We need to confess our faults to one another and pride definitely is a fault to confess. Now a content, proud person. So you understand what I mean by that? Someone who's content with being proud. So they know they have an element of pride or if you're really, really proudful, I don't know if you would, but if it's starting out in your life, you see pride in your life, 
So a content, proud person can't do this. They will not be willing to take the step to admit that they are prideful, that they think this will do this about others, and start working on it. Because proud people generally struggle to have close and intimate relationships. Because closeness demands vulnerability. Pride seeks exclusivity. It doesn't want to be vulnerable. So someone who is prideful will not go and admit it to someone else. And that's why this is such a difficult thing to deal with. And that's why we need to all humble ourselves to be able to deal with this and to take away this thing that will cost any Christian more than they are ever willing to pay. I ask that you close your eyes as we close. In 1 Peter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. In Philippians 2, we read that this mind which was in Christ must also be in us. So I ask you that don't fall prey to pride's progressive pretense and paralyzing price. But rather, renew your mind to be aligned with the humble mind of Christ. Lord, I I can ask, Father, that that you would come humble us. Lord, our salvation started at a point of utter humility. We started where we had to say, no deed that I have done could ever be enough to save me. I am a wretched man, and everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, and that definitely includes me. And him who says he has no sin deceives himself and he calls God a liar. And so, Father, we, if our salvation started at a point where we humbled ourselves and pleaded our, our need for you, how can we, having begun there, think that we are now somehow made righteous by our deeds? And so, Lord, I ask that as pride promotes works, pride promotes a show, Lord, we ask that you would please take that away from us. Come humble us, Lord, that we can help each other and look each other in the eye and pray for each other. Lord, we need you. We need that mind of Christ in us. Please come shape us every day. Become more like your Son, who had all the glory in the world, the, the King of this, this universe, the Creator of everything. And he humbled himself. And he didn't just become a man. He became a servant to men. But we have far to go. Help us not to ever think that we have reached some point of sufficient humility. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.